Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Alone at Lunch early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod, or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. everybody and welcome back to alone at lunch my name is emily walsh and i'm here with my co-host as always carly montag oh my god it's me again it's you you're back you're covid free we're living life we're living the dream (laughs) living the dream we are living the dream because today you guys we have sarah suzuki harvard on the podcast hello Konnichiwa, motherfuckers. Hi, how's everyone? <laughs> What's up? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm just recovering from a little like cold, but I'm doing good besides that. How are you guys doing? We're pretty solid. Things are going Tuesday. Well it's about here. six degrees outside. I'm so happy oh, I, I live know. in New York. Grateful, blessed, <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> are you in New York as well, Sarah? Yeah, I'm in the financial district. Um, so I'm like looking at my window right now and I'm like seeing icicles. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> but beautiful. Good. Yeah, it's going to be my hair in a minute. I'm going to take a shower later. Um, so I'm excited to get <laughs> cold again or get sick again. Yeah, you can't wash your hair in the winter. I think you're just supposed to let it stay not unwashed for like six months. But it is a fun feeling because it gets like a little tingly in your like, you know what I mean? When it's like super cold, you can feel the air in your follicles of your scalp maybe that's just a me thing I don't know but it makes me feel clean and like just I don't know it's like the closest thing I'll ever get to an orgasm I guess but like it's just like nice I hope not <laughs> I mean look I'm a straight woman so it's truth it's, it's fair fair that did reframe yeah. what I was about to say because before you brought up orgasm I was going to be like yeah when I was a kid growing up in New Hampshire my hair follicles were always <laughs> freezing i mean my hair would just freeze and i'd walk to the bus and be like crunch 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 and like crunch up yeah, my was, icicle hair a fun little thing to do but i don't know i think i need some action on my ovary follicles if that's the thing i'll shut up <laughs> <laughs> no i like it coming in just hard and yeah, fast looking for someone to come in hard and fast we like that exactly. um <laughs> like that energy <laughs> uh wait sarah where are you from where did you grow up uh, I grew up in Chicago, so the Midwest. So I'm like used to wearing shorts in the winter and like being all f- cold. So this is like home for me. This is familiar. So I'm happy with it. Wait, Chicago. Did you say shorts in the winter? Yeah, yeah people. Shorts in the winter. Yeah, people who grow up in cold places, we wear the dumb summer shit all year round. Like Boston, yeah. it's flip flops. That's the move. Flip flops. Like, here. 
flip all across year round. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yes. Yep. I did not know that. I thought you guys were just like prepped with multi layers of very warm things. No, it's like That's the like knit cap and then flip flops yeah. and shorts. Like it's yeah. it's like a really messed up look. And I don't know if it's like a point of pride or what it is, but I definitely did it when I was younger. I was like, no, I'm good. I don't it's need. It's comfy. It's just like, you just you want to go out the door as fast as you can. I think for me, like the sucky part of winter is like getting all the layers on and then sitting down all your like puffy layered of coats and like bending over and putting on your boots it's just it's just so much work it is it's just like putting on flip-flops just like you're out the door and then you feel like that kid from a christmas story i forget where he (laughs) took my arms down yeah Yeah. just like came on my arms down (laughs) it is very cute when you see little babies in like these puffy coats though i will say that they're like waddling like penguins can't even walk straight (laughs) were you in the suburbs or you in like the city so I grew up in the suburbs. Um, so I don't know if you guys are familiar. Well, I moved. So I went to Schaumburg and then I moved to Naperville, which are both in the Chicago land, um, like the Chicago land area. Um, and it's like both of them are pretty predominantly white. So um, I always did feel like a lonely kid. So that's, um, I know the whole podcast title to Alone at Lunch. And that was always me. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything I know about the surrounding area of Chicago, I learned from John Hughes movies. And I feel course, like yeah. that does reflect uh, a particular bright shade of whiteness. So that makes sense mm-hmm. to me. 100%. Yeah. Uh, Ferris Bueller Days Off is like kind of a huge, uh, I think, point of pride for like Illinoisans. Is that a word? Ill- How am I from Illinois and don't even know the correct terminology? <laughs> Illinois people. Illinois. Um, I think yeah. Illinois. I know. I don't know. Illinoisites. Yeah. Illinoisans. Illinoisans. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like always like, yeah, I love like Ferris Bueller. Like, That's my movie. Then I look at the movie and it's like, well, I don't look like I'm in that community. <laughs> um, so it's always interesting to see how like I don't know. I think like in, in hindsight, I'm like, I guess I'm not like I am from Chicago, but I don't think people really see that when they look at me. They would. I'm, really do you sad. get a lot of like, yeah, but where are you really from? Or like, where are you? All the time. Yeah, yeah actually from or whatever. I think like growing up, what was really hard for me was like, um, like since I was in third grade, like, I don't know if you guys remember this, like this is in your elementary school, but sometimes like your teacher would have an assignment where you do your own family tree and talk about like where your family comes from. I actually think it's like pretty intrusive and like you're asking kids to reveal all their family secrets and stuff like that. <laughs> but like, um, so basically I would be the only kid who had parents from like Morocco, Japan. And like, I remember growing up, like my parents would always be like, Sarah, you were born in America, you're an American. And I would have kids tell me like, no, you're not an American, you're Japanese or like you're Moroccan, you're not one of us. And that was just a weird, wild thing to experience. I would like, literally cry and like argue with kids about where I was from uh, and I don't know like I remember like like I don't know why it was so uncool to them that I wasn't like full-on white because like during the holidays I get to go to Japan and Morocco like where'd they get to go to like Ohio that's fucking boring like, <laughs> I get to go to like eat sushi and like I don't know ride a camel and what they, they get to ride a tractor like why am I the uncool one so yeah, it's I really. Well, it's, yeah, I would have they thought you were really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pathetic that like white kids in America can't see different things as exciting and only see them as bad. Like, there's no, I don't know what age that changes because I I'm sure it does for most people, but I I definitely 
remember being a little kid and who was picked on and why. And it was definitely just otherness. Like anything that wasn't like right. as plain as possible was like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah, like anything different. I remember like my mom used to like make me like sushi or like ramen for lunch. And I would get picked on. Like every minority kid in America has ever like has gone through that experience. But like to me, it's like wild because like, do they not know that this is like premium grade like fish this is like 50 bucks at like an east village restaurant and you're mocking me while you're eating a pb and j sandwich like you're <laughs> eating a dusty uncrustable and i'm having like a five star like i don't know like a five star michelin rating like meal so it's always like wild to me but uh but yeah how I long think- did it get you to take you to get to that moment though i feel like were you in school like being like Guys, I'm literally eating a five star lunch. Were <laughs> you like, no, like I, years later? I wish I was like this, but it was like years later. I would say it was like towards like the actually, it's really sad. I would say like college, I kind of had that mentality. Like people in high school, I don't know, middle school was the worst. I feel like middle school is like that age group where kids can fi- finally learn how to be mean, but don't know the extent of how mean they could get or how traumatic it can be. Um, so like that kind of like had a huge effect with me on to like high school, but it wasn't until college where like people all were all trying to make new friends and have new experiences and brand chat where I was like, okay, man, I was like freaking cool. And like, I don't know, elementary school, middle school, I wish I kind of like, I don't know, took more pride in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, also I feel like it was a different time back then too. Like even we didn't have, like we had needle pets. In middle school you know like it's like and like would they sell neopet like dumb omelets for like your new i don't know but like there wasn't a lot of exposure to like different cultures and different cuisines so i definitely think like the internet kind of helped in like not only shifting people's mindsets but like also kind of like helping me accept that like what i'm what i grew up with and the cuisine and the culture i had is actually pretty like cool and something to be proud of yeah, like I, I am a very white person from a very white state. Uh, I grew up in New Hampshire, and I remember I didn't have sushi till I went to college. And I, um, I remember what as you were saying this and like the internet and exposure. I definitely remember like a lot of cartoons having sushi jokes, and then the image would be like a fish that a cat was eating, like taking the meat off the bones like with their like raw fish like that was what like and just like now I'm thinking about it I'm like I'm sure that sounded gross to me like I don't want to eat like a fish off of the fish bones like a cat like (laughs) that's that's, how it is yeah 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 yeah. but it's just like what dumb jokes that writers made in the 60s when they were writing Looney Tunes affected my brain in the 90s so that I was like ignorant that I should be eating sushi like it just it's crazy what affects people and how much yeah. it does. Especially at a young age, too. It's just, uh, it's wild. I mean, I wish they had, like, Arthur, like, eating, I don't know, couscous or something like that. To make it, <laughs> <laughs> instead of, like, some dumb, like, I don't know. Like, what are kids? They had PB&J. They would have, like, pizza. And those, like, disgusting chicken nuggets. Lunchables. Like, yeah, lunch. Oh, yeah, that is, like, wild. That we oh, could see so your bad. kids that. Kid like, charcuterie. I mean, I... <laughs> exactly i was jealous of the kids with lunchables that's like that's what i was getting made fun of because i couldn't have i didn't have lunchables and they were probably gross i don't know i do know you got a reese's peanut butter cup in some of them and i was like "Ooh, girl i remember my mom was like why would you want this instead of like sushi like why would you want plastic meat and then one crunch bar instead of like a full-on i don't know 
like really like my mom used to also like make these little like Japanese bento boxes where they she would like make the rice look like um you know a certain animal or like have like cut up certain like toppings to make it look like really cute and stuff so she put a lot of like effort into making my lunchbox look pretty and then like no mom all I want is like bologna and a cracker (laughs) (laughs) there are definitely still moms that do that uh on TikTok I have fallen into a world of like mothers making bento boxes for their children and being like today I made all of the fruit into koalas and I I will it's like keeps coming up on my newsfeed because every time I watch the full video I'm like this is fascinating that you're you're getting joy in this that your kid is getting joy in this like this is this is a good time to be alive and meanwhile I'm just like using plastic forks and knives because I can't be bothered to wash silverware so it's like (laughs) wild that they're doing that I never had a bento box at lunch, but I did have a little note that my mom would write on my lunch, my little paper lunch bag. So I think that's that's sweet, cool. though. I wish yeah. my mom did that. But like Asian parents don't really show affection to their kids. There's no I love you. They'll just show it through the food, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they definitely love food. you by making that much food. But uh, that's true. <laughs> we I remember a friend of mine got notes and I remember the year that it turned from a, something that most kids got to almost nobody like fifth or sixth oh. grade. And then every day she was like so embarrassed by the notes and her mom would still write these like little poems. And like we would like it's it almost sounds mean now, but could, but she would like think it was funny and be involved. But we would do like readings of the note we'd be like okay what did her mom say today like what little poem <laughs> did she write her today it's like a spoken word poetry performance at lunch every day that's hilarious so did you have like your crew like at all like not it was like at all but did, i mean you have like people who you were yes. friends with and your little so, posse um, so like until first grade i had actually it was second grade uh there's one white kid named evan whose parents were like cultured because like I remember everyone was like ew she's eating sushi what is that and then everyone's like I eat sushi it's good like he was like the one kid that always offended me at lunch and then in third grade things got better because we had an um an international student from Japan move in and her name was Yukari and I feel bad saying this but like it was great I mean it's so terrible that I'm gonna admit this but like it kind of felt like the hate like the 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 bullying kind of deflected and like oh, went 100%. to her yeah <laughs> so it was like I mean I was her friend she was part of my crew but like it was just kind of nice to be that person who was like girl I've gone through this before I got you <laughs> like uh but I remember like it was so bad that like even like our teachers were so terrible um in third grade we were like reading this book um about this like poor girl and how she's trying to fit it in her class um in her like in her school but she looked pretty sickly and like they described her in a book as having a skin that looked like jaundice and then the teacher asked does anyone know what jaundice is and then um they're like no and then he pointed to like my friend Yukari and was like well Yukari's skin looks like jaundice no way and I was like that is like at third grade I was just like I didn't know what to say but like I knew like that was just like really weird for a teacher to single her out um, but yeah, like I, dude, I like grew up in like very white suburban America right after 9-11 and like our family changed her last name while I was still in school. And so like everyone knew that I was like Asian and Muslim. And like, so it was so wild to see like teachers say the craziest stuff to their students without like, I guess like taking for granted these students like don't know anything and probably won't tell their parents what their, you know, what their teachers said today. But yeah, that was like a that was like a big kind of like, I think, wake up call for me. Um, but yeah, Yukari since then has been like my home slice. But then she like moved back to Japan 
um, in fifth grade. So then I was back to being bullied again, but <laughs> for being Muslim this time though. So it was like, a did you say experience. that your family changed their last name? Mid- yeah. Um, so yeah, mid, uh, so after I, my dad's Moroccan and, um, and I grew up Muslim. So, um, obviously the dad's name is like what I grew up with. And I don't want to say it like what his name was because my parents were still kind of freaking out about like, you know, Islamophobia and stuff like that. But, um, they, uh, after 9-11 happened, we got death threats and our like mosque was like, you know, vandalized. It was like a really scary time for us. And my parents were like, you know, we need to like think of the future for our kids. We don't want them to be discriminated against. Like we just came to America and like, like my, at that time, my sister was like one years old. So they're like, we have to like change our, our last name. Um, so they're like, you know, we'll just choose an Asian last name. So they chose Harvard. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's like, it was wild because I remember like at like third grade when I, like, I was um, in third grade when 9-11 happened, like my whole entire like family, my aunts and uncles all like congregated in like one of my uncle's house and they're all like fighting over like what kind of name we're going to choose. And I just remember like thinking Harvard was weird because we clearly don't look like a Harvard. Like my mom is Japanese and they can't use, like they don't know how to use her L's and R's. So it took her like, no kidding, two years to learn how to say Harvard. Wow. For the longest time we were the like hardest Howard. hardest to give her. Or, oh, I know it was so inconsiderate. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it was a wild time. And I remember like my parents being like, like we, so we moved, um, I think around when I was in sixth grade and I remember my parents being like, you don't tell anyone you're Muslim, you never defend Islam. Like don't, you know, like talk about Islam. Like you don't know how people are dangerous or like crazy here. Just like, you know, you're an American first and foremost. And it was just like wild that like at a young age, I had to like, feel like I had to be ashamed of like something that I always associate with like goodness and like righteousness and like being good to others like I grew up thinking of Islam as a thing like you know you treat people the way you want to be treated and like you know the teachers of Jesus Christ and like um you know and like you know, we love Virgin Mary and like all this stuff and then all of a sudden have everyone view you as like a terrorist or like someone view you as like a menace to society like I remember like in sixth grade my teacher told the whole class that um, Muslim kids are taught to kill other Muslim, uh, other kids like you. And I was like, and like, I kind of like argued with the teacher. I was like, how could he say that? It's like, it's a generalization. And like, um, but to me, it was just like wild that like we had educators who were just like spreading this mis- misinformation, hatred, and like literally pinning like students against each other. Um, and I even had like always to be more wild to me is that I had like an Indian classmate who's like, he grew up like a Hindu, but like, he was like, when I told him it was a secret that I was Muslim, he like shouted and put his finger at me and was like, you're a terrorist, you're a terrorist. And oh all my, my head, I was thinking, is like, you're the brown kid. Like you're the one who's visibly <laughs> like, why? <laughs> so it was just like a weird, wow. weird time. Like, like I, I didn't tell anyone was a Muslim until I was a, I think a sophomore in college. That's how like wow. weird it was. Uh, so I was like, everyone talked about how Obama was a secret Muslim where I was like, I was the LG. You're like, I literally <laughs> was Muslim. a secret yeah. Muslim. Yeah. Like that's, it's crazy because like, I feel like teachers are another group of people. Like you kind of have this moment with your parents when you realize your parents are just people who are just like doing their best. Right. And then this whole thing with teachers, it's like teachers, you know, they they have like a lot of them have this like noble profession and they really want to like do good things and they go into the profession for a reason. But a lot of them say fucked up shit. And like 
in reality, it's like you go to school for four years, you student teach for six months, a year, and then you just are alone with children all day. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of schools now, it's very rare that it's one teacher and like 30 kids or whatever. But that was our entire childhood. Like we never had a second adult and like right. they could have said whatever crazy shit. They're and like the, unsupervised. Yeah, they're basically unsupervised people and like they definitely have opinions and like Islamophobia in that time was rampant. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Like it was absolutely crazy. And I definitely remember like the one or two kids in my school, like all of a sudden feeling like they had targets on them, you know, like it was just, it's, it's just crazy because you want to like be able to trust that per, like position and then you're like, right. no, they're just people too. And they can be racist idiots too. Like just right. because they passed, like if they can teach math to 12 year olds, doesn't mean they're like a righteous person, but right. Definitely. Yeah. I was, I remember like my, uh, like my mom, I think like dropped something off in like school and my same third grade teacher, like my mom's name was Junko. And like, clearly there's an O at the end of her word. So like he, my teacher was like, oh, whose parents, his name is Junk, which is like so stupid. But like everyone laughed and he laughed along too. I was like, no, it's Junko. And like, I remember like Yukari being like, that's not nice. Like that's, it was just so sad to like see these two Asian kids like getting bullied for like things they had no control over. And it was just, it was a weird time. So I feel like, I don't know. I always have, have a chip on my shoulder about feeling kind of like, an outsider or like like picking on someone for like their name or where they come from or like something they can't control because it was such a like a traumatizing time for me and like really kind of um you know like had a huge I think like effect on like my confidence and so like now it's weird because it's like clearly I'm not the most the best practicing Muslim but now I'm like hell yeah I'm Muslim and I like overpronounce like Muslim words and it's wild because I like talk to like my Muslim friends right I'll meet Muslim people I'll be like assalamu alaikum and then they're like oh konnichiwa like it's so like <laughs> so it's weird for me it's just like I don't feel like I visibly look um what a Muslim should look like or I don't even look like what like an Arab or even like an Asian like East Asian person looks like so I feel like uh when I was younger I did so I kind of like I I had that experience of like being bullied for you know how I'm perceived by others or being othered but now I feel like I'm not accepted by like or I'm not seen as one of that from the communities that I um that I belong to so it's kind of like a huge whirlwind I can't talk today but like a huge like I don't know identity crisis you know being mixed race and stuff and it's just like I don't know I'm still trying to figure it out <laughs> um and I think that's why I'm doing comedy now just like kind of like sort of going to therapy because the thing is too there's a lot of therapists out there who aren't well the majority of therapists I've had are like are white but they're not um they're not half Moroccan half Japanese they're not like right there's it's not really a lot hard of to find your exact situation mirrored back to you right and I feel like I just go on stage and talk about it and what's been really helpful is that like there were a couple of times where I had audience members who are mixed race who kind of like, oh my God, I totally vibe with everything you said. Or like people who weren't like, who are hundred percent a certain uh, background, but don't visibly look like, you know, Indian or, or, or like Chinese, but like felt, you know, being othered or being alone in, in certain communities. So yeah. yeah. Sorry if this is being too sad. But no, like, no, we get, uh, we me. get into it. But uh, what did your, so your parents were telling you to like, not be Muslim outside your home, but were they embracing it like in your home? Like, were you guys like, like eating that way or practicing that way religiously? Or like, was it just like, never mind, we're Americans, like, forget it. Or were you like yeah. leaning more into the Asian aspects of your like upbringing? Like, what was that like at home? 
Yeah, it was wild. Like before 9-11, my parents weren't really super religious at all. But then after 9-11, my parents were like, we're not going to like publicly, uh, you know, identify as Muslim. At home, they were like super hardcore. Like we would all pray together. They would play like the Quran in our home all the time. My dad would like make me watch like all these movies about Islam or like, you know, religious figures or like watch YouTube debates of like between like Islamic scholars and so on. So like, he was really big on like, um, making sure that we didn't lose our understanding and faith in Islam. And I, I really do feel a little heartbroken for him. Like, it's just like, he was still a young dad. Like I was eight years old. I think at that time he was like 30, I don't know, like 32, 33. And it's just like, that's, you're still a kid. Like, you know, I mean, I know like you're, you're in the thirties, but like, you're still like, I know 30 year olds in the comedy scene who don't wash their ass. Like, so it's just like, it's it's like, I kind of feel bad, you know, like he still had hopes and dreams, but like, um, and he has to deal with, not only does he have to worry about raising his like kid in like a country that doesn't view them as one of their own and like view them as a criminal or, or makes them feel unsafe, but he also has to worry about himself and like, how is he be able to like feed his family and find a job where like, you know, Islamophobia is not only like rampant in like terms of hate crimes, but also like job discrimination. So I really like, I really do appreciate everything he's like done. Like kind of the, uh, the thing is my dad's never complained about that. Like he's always like, um, he doesn't like the economy. I mean, I don't know, it kind of gets me mad, but he doesn't like the idea of like, he like, he always tells me that he's like super proud to be American and like never regretted moving to America and like making his kids, um, like, you know, be born here and live here. But like, I, if I were in his position, I'd be like really, I would feel defeated and like kind of honestly, like little resentful you know, towards coming to a country where he thought that like it's a land of opportunities and then, you know, being uh, scrutinized and vilified left and right. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like patriotism in general and I and not obviously knowing anything else myself personally, but I do feel like sometimes like American patriotism is so intense that people have a hard time being like letting it be nuanced like right i feel like you don't hear a lot of people being like yes i'm very proud to be an american i'm happy i live in america but you know x y or z it's kind of like you're perceived as somebody who's either like i'm wearing an american flag t-shirt and i'm like you know screaming about how great the country is or you're like eh I, whatever and you know you want to be grateful especially like i feel like i need to be I guess grateful sometimes I don't know I have a very complicated view of America right now but like when I was younger I definitely would be like we need to be grateful because you were born here and you've had all these opportunities mm-hmm. and I do feel that way but I also like I'm like but what about Norway you know like I, yeah like, same like now yeah. it's gotten a lot more they're complicated hot there. But... <laughs> like Norway Sweden they're hot I'll go there yeah they're but trying like, to get a four-day yeah, work there. week like let's all go yeah. you know what I mean like right were you involved in like any extra any extracurricular activities at school or in your community? Yeah, I was a swimmer. My dad was really big on me being athletic. Um, so I did swimming uh, my whole entire life. I went to college for swimming. Um, and that was like, my dad was also really adamant about that, about me getting involved in like athletics, because that's like the one thing, like, you know, he also like chose swimming for me as a sport. I mean, at first I liked it, but he also like chose it because that was like the one sport where like there is, there politics can go into play. Like you can't, like there's no coach who's going to bench you because like he doesn't like you or so on. Like swimming was solely based on your time and like how fast you can swim and how it is an individual sport. Yeah. You so can't even like, say like Sarah's not being a team player. It's like, it's not a right. team. It is a team, but it's not a team sport. Like, right. And he was like, I picked that sport for you because that's like the one thing where like, it's 
pretty much your merit and your talent and like no one can take that away from you it's about how hard you worked um so yeah he was like big on that and then I did wrestling in high school but like that's when like things kind of got a little bit better in terms of Islamophobia and stuff like that and my dad was an MMA coach growing up so uh, oh wow wow yeah so he was like really big and so I think that's like also why my dad was like really worried because like this guy like knows how to fight like they're probably it's actually wild it's like a true story um a couple years ago someone was passing around flyers where my mom and dad's MMA gym that said that if you want your um your sons and daughters to join the Taliban join my like my, my mom holy and dad's shit so and then like people leave like dead fish like a dead fish or like a um my mom and dad's door like a front doorsteps like it was like all these oh weird like things um so like I get why my dad's like uh don't tell people you're Muslim like they probably actually think we're a training camp you know um but yeah sports was like a huge extracurricular sports were really huge thing for us and I think my dad just wanted me to kind of like feel American and feel like like socialize with like other kids and stuff like that um and also like swimming isn't a sport that like most Muslim kids do I think and so it's like kind of helps with like the facade I guess I don't know <laughs> of creating like, this Harvard family that does yeah like, non-Muslim things with your teammates and all those um, things yeah I know I it's weird because I did get like I always felt alienated by the swim team and stuff like that um and like it was like swimming is also like, hella classes and like white sport like all the swimsuits, for example, when like, we would go to championship meets, we would wear those, like, um, they're called, like, the laser skin, like, speedo laser suits, like, the bowling balls. Like, they got banned during the Olympics, but, like, basically those suits cost, like, 550 bucks and last, wow. like, five swims. And my mom and dad were not wealthy at all, so they really, like, put everything together to make sure that I had, like, had everything that the other kids did. But, like, I always felt a little um, alien outcast because I didn't feel like I fit in. But I remembered, like... This is in high school that this one girl, I won't say her name, but like she would make a joke about how like, yeah, go back to where you came from and like just like, out of Ugh. nowhere, like these dumb like conversations and like, how would you go back to like, you know, practice because you're slower or something stupid like that. But like, it was, it was wild. Um, but I do want to like go back to like Emily's point about like how like the nuances of patriotism because I remembered when I first moved to moved to New York I was in a panel when CBS and um it was like a panel for all these American Muslims at, like right when Trump was like running for office and then the moderator in this panel asked me and everyone else are you an American or are you Muslim first and I wow. thought that was just a wild freaking question to ask because like no one's asking Ted Cruz are you a Christian or are you American first or Canadian technically like it's just <laughs> a wild concept to me that they don't think of America like being a Muslim as a part of American society when like some of the first slaves who came to America were Muslim or like how Thomas Jefferson was like a huge like you know fan and like was interested in learning about Islam and like Prophet Muhammad and like um and also the fact that Islam is like a Judeo-Christian like we all believe in Abraham we all believe in Jesus yeah so it's, it's like really not wild. that far off and then but it's become this giant crazy fucking thing to the average american they have no concept of the actual religion they're just like oh my god that's the craziest thing i can think right. of right it's just like and they're like oh you guys are so weird like you guys like pray five times a day. i mean you guys eat crackers thinking it's the blood of i mean it's like the <laughs> body of christ like that's that's why like to me that is kind of like and i know shame to you that like, i know it's all symbolic but like i just like don't understand how we could like um the people can like look at our faith as like like praying and to like 
basically it, all Allah means is like God. Like it's just a translation for the right. word God. And people see that as a weird thing. Whereas like every religion has their own weird quirky customs, you know? So And those same people don't think it's weird when there's paintings of like angels standing behind Trump in the Oval Office. Like they yeah. think that's like a fantastic work of art. And, they, and why are like, angels like naked babies? That's a little sus, you know? That's like a little Yeah. Also little the body sus. and blood of Christ thing. Well, I remember so I was raised Catholic. And I remember being like, okay, this is kind of weird. Also, uh, but I'm going to get on board. But it's just a symbol, right? And I got in this really <laughs> weird conversation with a priest because he was like, no, it's once the blessing is said, it is literally the body and blood of Christ. And I was like, but no, they it's a cracker. They come in packets. <laughs> like, I've seen the packets. Like, I don't. In the like, factory. <laughs> like, I think it would. I think you'd get more people on board if you were willingly like, no, this is a symbol. And it's just grape yeah. juice and a saltine. And then we, it's you know, have so donuts in the early. basement. <laughs> yeah. It's just so. I don't know. Catholics are weird. Everybody's weird. But uh. yeah. you were talking yeah, about. Oh, sorry. You were just talking about like whether, you know, letting ask that question about being a Muslim first or an American first. And I've. Uh, you know, I'm I'm Jewish, and I feel like oftentimes, and not really asked, but it comes up like, are you a Jewish American or an American Jew? And it's like, why does one have to come first or one be the other? Right. Like about what you put first and in, in what context. even is the like, difference? Is just what you put first? Is that what they're implying? Are you a Jewish American? So like, are you an American who just happens to be Jewish, or are you an American Jew? Are you a Jewish person who happens to be American? Like, which ones do you identify stronger with? Gotcha. I feel like it's like another like kind of sneaky anti-Semitic way to be like, do you have your allegiance to Israel or do you have your allegiance to America? And yeah. like to me, and and I think same thing with like you know being muslim but it's like we don't like i'm not i hate saudi arabia that's like not where i come from and i just think that like why is it so hard for people to understand that like muslim or islam is like a religion and then that's just like what i believe in but like my american is my nationality like, right and, or like me being asian is like a race but like i'm still my nationality is american like, it's so different like people i just, i don't think we have that nuance to society yet and that's just like mind-boggling to me so. yeah there's the complex understanding of that is not common and i also get frustrated with it because like as like a white a person who was born a white christian american i've never been asked to like examine how i feel about any of that for myself you know like right and it's just weird that it's like why do why are we basically asking anybody who doesn't look like we do to write an essay daily about their position in the world with their religion and their you know nationality etc whereas i'm just everyone's just comfortable with what i am because it happens to be the most boring version like i just i don't <laughs> <Right>. know <laughs> i um i took my <laughs> i decided to do my uh, dna ancestry because i was <laughs> just curious even though i knew what the answer would be and it it literally came back. My DNA was like, you are 99% European Jew. Like it wasn't even like Eastern European period. It was just like European Jew. The continent. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I didn't know that was an option. Like, <laughs> So you were like, you could, so Portugal Jew or France Jew? Like what does that mean? Like, all of Jew. this yeah. region, it, it was like, hey, do you want to connect with other European, Eastern European Jews who might be related to? I was like, what? <laughs> it was like thousands of options. It's like, there's no way. It's like close your eyes and point somewhere in the map. And that's Pretty much. <laughs> it was, but I didn't know that. Like, I thought it was very interesting that it was like categorized in such a broad ancestry yeah that it would like i don't know other people get back that you are 99 percent like irish catholic or you know what i mean like why i didn't i always thought that, that like being jewish was oh in, yeah yeah like it literally said jew like jewish in my in my dna yeah. Like, they, yeah. they could tell like just by 
my whatever lineage. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know. Do you, do you think the that reason that- why, sorry, I'm like, do you think the reason why people often say that or why that's into, uh, I don't know why I'm making sense here. I'm like kind of blabbering, but is it true that like in Judaism, like um, the lineage goes through the mother, it's more of a matriarchal thing. Like technically yeah. you're not considered a Jew unless your mom is. So do yeah. you think that's probably why just to get easier way to like trace the line? Um, yeah, I mean, maybe. But let's get uh, them on yeah. the, the the horn. Sorry, let's call twenty three and me. Yeah, <laughs> but mean, it was funny honestly, it was... it's all just to sell our DNA information. So I'm sure they were like, yeah. whatever, we're being anti-Semitic. Who cares? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny because it was. Um, it literally says ninety nine percent. Your oh, it was European Jewish and one percent Eastern European. Wow. So, like, there's one percent of me that's not Jewish? Question mark. Maybe it's like, hilarious because you're trying to find the specifics of what you are, and yet they give yeah. you another generic answer. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, it's okay. not the same thing, so I don't want to make it sound like I think it's the same thing. But everybody always asks me if we've done the doggy DNA for my dog, <laughs> and I just won't because like another comic actually told me that he did, but he had a rescue, and they were just like. The mother of the dog is a mutt. The father of the dog is a mutt. Like one of the grandparents might be a terrier. And I was like, you paid $68 to find that out? Like, I'm yeah. good. They don't actually know. They're just, if you know, they're making it up. Yeah, but it was, it was, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't I, I was kind of hoping that it would be like, also surprised you have like one ancestor who you didn't know, what, but I was like, no, I, okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> Could have just called grandma for this information. <laughs> Pretty much. Um. Okay, so Sarah, so you, you found yourself in college. You, you were able to like open up and be your true self that you wanted to bring to the world in a way. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I think like, now more than ever, I I feel like I am more myself. Like, um, I was like talking to someone today where like, I'm kind of like jumping um, scenes here, but like, I think for me, like when I first started in the comedy scene, it was kind of like a, like one of the biggest pet peeves for me was like how clicky it was. Like how, like, if you didn't, if you weren't in common for a certain amount of time, if you came from a different state or like, if you hung out with different people, if you're just new in general, there'll be like some weird, like, tension and it was it was pretty exclusive and I think just like growing up you know growing up Muslim in America growing up Asian in America like I just have like a big thing about not making anyone ever feel alone and so now it's like a running joke among my friends where I'm like the orientation leader for like new comics or like comics who are new to the city where I'm like oh you're new like come like hang out with us and like um but yeah I feel like I mean I don't know why like I was so excited to do this podcast because like I literally use this metaphor where I was like, I never want to see another person eat alone at lunch again. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because like nowadays people are like, leave me alone. Like, I, I want wanna... to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, just, just stop talking to me. Um, but that's just like, I, if anything, I think the thing I'm most proud of myself is like um, taking like the struggles or the traumas I went through and like doing my best, like ensure that no one kind of like has to go through that again. And I feel like a lot of times, especially when you're like a lot of like there's this like saying that hurt people hurt people and there's like this like I don't know if it's a word a stereotype but this like um this like trend of like bullies people who are bullies are often bullied at home and I don't want to like repeat that cycle um and like I feel like a lot of times people make fun of other people because they're projecting um so I'm trying to like do my best and like not to do that and just to make sure that like 
everyone feels welcome for who they are, regardless of like what they look like, what their orientation is, what they believe. I mean, if they're a Nazi, like if their whole like belief <laughs> system is on excluding other people, yeah, fuck you. But like, but um, but yeah, just like, I mean, I don't know if that's your question, but that's like a huge thing for me. So, so. what you're saying is you're not doing roasts. Um, so <laughs> I would do so I run a heckle mic, which has been really fun. And it's like a, it's it's pretty much people roasting each other, but we have this thing where it's like whatever says like whatever is said in this room is like not malicious. There's no ill intent behind it, and it stays in that room. And we all like hug afterwards, and in a way that like it may kind of like has brought us all closer together. We kind of like formed our own like friend group through that, and like always invite other people to join in. And it's just like I don't know, it's pretty cool because it's like. A weird experience first of all I feel like it's great exposure therapy it's like I am a pretty big girl and like I one of my biggest like insecurities about is like about being overweight and being big and people and obviously people know that and um so when I first started people make jokes about that I don't get like so angry and now I don't even care anymore and like and people come up to me and they're like yeah like you're you're hot you're beautiful you're this like it's just a thing that we like joke about and like and then they're like but we're really glad to like see like have us like I guess like uh, go through a journey of us accepting our flaws and then like not only accepting them, but like also like seeing them now as like a strength, like seeing as a positive. So in a weird way, like, yeah, I do roast, but it's like in a way it's kind of like made us closer together because we've like learned to kind of like appreciate each other's like insecurities and flaws, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's like you don't make fun of people that you don't like. I mean, I guess people do, but like if you're... If I was to insult somebody, it's because I feel comfortable and I'm like their friend, not because yeah. I actually want yeah. to hurt their feelings. I am the meanest yeah. to the people I care the most about. <laughs> like, exactly. Emily, yeah. you care the most about me? I yeah. mean, I I wouldn't say I'm the meanest to you, but I, you're, I, <laughs> I'm not very nice. So, yeah, I guess you're up there. Yeah. T- you're in the top. I don't know yes. if you guys know who Otter Lee, but he's like one of my good friends. And he, uh, at, the, at that last act, he roses me. He called me. I don't know if you guys know Olivia Munn, but like, I mean, everyone does now. But he called me Olivia Munch. And I was like, oh, that hurt. <laughs> and, then, and then I went back with, okay, Kim Jong-il. And like, it was, it was like, it was a back and forth thing. But we like hugged afterwards. It was the kind of fun to like, I don't know. Like we, it was like, it's like brothers and sisters kind of just like poking fun at each other. Like, I don't know if you ever done this with your like siblings or friends, but you would like go through like an animal book and like point at a gorilla and be like, look, that's you. Or like an ugly picture of an animal, like that's you. It's just kind of like that kind of silly, like um, sibling kind of like love and relationship. I feel like that's what all roasting wants to be. I just have a bit, I, I like, I talk about it probably too much, but I just think there's so much roast like shows, so many roast shows where people yeah. don't even know the other person and they're just like, doing research on them to come up with ways to be mean to them and that that I don't understand like what you're describing sounds like fun and I've done a couple roasts with people that I knew like sort of and it was fine but I I did this one show that was like a competition show in a city that I don't live in and it was like a round rounds of competitions and one of them was the roast round so you literally just had to say one roast joke about everybody else on stage and then like two people were eliminated but I purely just had to do it off of their Facebook profiles. And I was like, this doesn't feel fun to me. Like, and it's I superficial. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally just being like, oh, that person has like blue hair or something. But you're like, 
that kind of thing I feel comfortable making fun of, but I don't want to call somebody I don't know, like, overweight or, you know, I don't yeah. know where their insecurities are on that. And if I'm going to be this giant bitch that's just like, I don't even know you. Like, what do you yeah, like, like? Sometimes like roasters, like, some people to roast are just to be freaking mean. And I like that gets me so mad. But I remember like I like this. I don't want to say her name, but like this is a comic who like I don't even know that well. And she just like and she's pretty. She's skinny. She came up to me and she was like hey, do you want to do a roast battle with me? And I was like, it's funny how out of everyone you picked, you chose me to do a roast battle with you. And I said, no, but then I had like this now personal rule of mine where like, I won't do a roast battle as long as the person I'm roasting is as fat or fatter than me. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a good strategy you can be. It's just like, I don't know. I just think it's kind of wild that people are 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 just like trying to be mean for the sake of like being mean or, or, or popularity. But I mean, it is like, it is like a form of comedy, so I get it. But yeah, yeah, I just think what it's meant you? to be. Oh, no, I'm. So, I'll. I'll finish my <laughs> my roast rant. I just feel like it's it. It was born out of being doing it with friends, and it's best with people you know. And I just hate that it's become this like other form of comedy because like the people that defend it to me when I rant about it to them are like. Yeah, but it makes you write new jokes. And I'm like, pick a fucking topic and write new jokes. What if I just yeah. said, write a skateboard joke? And then you wrote that joke. Like, and Look, then you you're didn't... not going to go on stage and write a joke about some random schmuck that, like, a room full of like 100 people in Broadway Comedy Club knows nothing about. Like, that's not. Yeah, that's, a good there's argument. no point yeah. in that. So stop pretending right. that's why yeah. you're doing roast. But now I'll stop and I'll let Carly say whatever <laughs> she's yeah, saying. <laughs> I just wanted to know when you got, like, when you got into comedy, were you already in New York? Like, what's that? What was that like for you? Yeah, so actually I was ready in New York City. Um, and you know, growing up, everyone said I was like pretty funny. So like I like, I don't know, I like I have this saying that I keep saying, but it's like I someone who went through a lot of trauma growing up, and there's like a lot of like layers to my trauma besides just like xenophobia and racism, but like I've always found um like humor in the darkest times or made jokes out of like dark crap. And like, so I always tell people that I laugh to keep myself from crying. And um, and I just like, I think in New York City, I like moved here after I got, I used to live in Washington, DC. I went to college there. And then I got mugged in DC. And like, I was like, and I lost everything. I was like almost suicidal. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna pack my bags and go to New York City and like try to figure things out there. And like, so I had some friends who were nice there. And like, and I always feel like New York City is a place where like, um, people a obviously it's cliche go follow their dreams but like b it's like the hustle there's a lot of opportunities there and it's like I don't know so I did comedy in New York City and I think it was like the best decision I made just because there's so much stage time here uh so I feel like I got good pretty fast compared to like kids or like other comics who like started out in like the midwest or like um, or even LA when like stage time is so far and few in between so yeah wow <laughs> there you go and um I feel like you built like a pretty strong community here. I mean, producing shows and you were hosting mics and like it for someone who, who has mentioned like not wanting anyone to feel alone and, you know, really embracing everybody. Like, I feel like you've done a really good job of putting that to heart. So that's really cool. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I, I feel like one of my biggest pet peeves is like uh, show swapping. Like I hate that. And I also like hate like how, and that's like, that's like, that's everywhere. But like, to me, it kind of gets like aggravating when I see like the same people at mics who like only watch each other's sets and stuff like that. And I just like, I don't know. I just feel like everyone, everyone's funny. Everyone has a story to tell. And I, and everyone like has weird obsessions and geeks out over thing. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I want 
everyone to feel like they're heard like and especially being a Muslim woman of color like in America like I had this one joke about like someone being like oh Sarah like why do you do like how is it like doing stand-up comedy as a Muslim I'm like are you kidding? It's great. You're telling me I get to talk about, I get to talk on stage for five minutes. That's more time than I'm allowed to speak at home, which is like <laughs> pretty Islamophobic, but like, it is like, I, I just want to make sure that everyone feels that they're like heard and appreciated. But, um, but yeah, and I don't know, I guess like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a set, I don't know. I'm a simp for, for people, I guess. I'm a, I have this like newsletter called Simping Sarah, which is like, just it's all it's about the comedy scene and like what's happening to comedy and like you know what mics to check out or like what bring your shows if you're new to comedy really want to get staged on like which ones to avoid and which ones to do um so it's like and I call all the like the people who subscribe to this newsletter as my simps but really I'm like a simp for everybody I guess (laughs) well that's cool um you I know we're going back for a second but you mentioned um wrestling Mm -hmm. Uh, that's pretty cool like were you were there a lot of girls wrestling and like what was that like for you yeah so there weren't a lot of girls wrestling in general in my state but I was um but in my high school surprisingly there was like I was one of three girls um and there was like an like uh one of them her name was um Carla she did it for the year before I did and then another girl started the same time I did um they're all different weight classes but it was actually pretty cool and awesome to have like two other girls on the wrestling team with me um, just because then I mean, we don't feel like we had like a, a support group there. So it was it wasn't like being the one chick in like an all-male team. So it was like pretty cool to like have uh, wrestling partners who were who were women. Um but yeah, Did it was find like, any difficulties with other teams not wanting to compete against you or no, not at all. I think a lot of times it was actually kind of a blessing in disguise because guys would underestimate us, especially me, and then like then I would kick their ass and like it was like, <laughs> hell yeah, you know. So it's pretty cool. And um yeah, I kind of like being the underdog. So yeah, I love, I definitely had a great time on, on the wrestling team, but like swimming was always a sport that I like wanted to do. My dad preferred it because it's like less politics. And also it's like, you're less likely to get injured and stuff like that. So, and you said yeah, you was, went to college, like, did you get a swimming scholarship or you just continued yeah. to swim in college? Oh, wow. Uh, so you were I was in division one uh, at George Mason university. There's like a whole other story there too. They were like, um, so I had to transfer because like the team was a pretty bad, they like hazed terribly. They uh, like, there was like a lawsuit. So I don't know if I'm allowed to, like I, I, I was a victim. So like, well, I'm just a survivor. And so I was like a freshman class, but it was pretty, some teams can get pretty wild. Um, but I unfortunately had to quit after my sophomore year. And, um, but yeah, swimming was like my thing. And I was like, I guess like it was my whole life. I think like until, uh, until college. Yeah, because you have to get up early and do maybe yeah. two practices a day, and it's it's an all encompassing sport. And like you're saying, it is very classist, but it's also very time consuming. I it's like so from what consuming. I know about it. Yeah, yeah. I was like swim before before school, and then like after school, and then on top of that, we would do like dry land exercise, which is like weightlifting or like running around or like you know doing aerobics and stuff like that. So just like I was ripped as a kid, but like, <laughs> but it was like you didn't have any like. I didn't get to go to high school dances or like prom or like to hang out with friends because it was just like school and, and swimming really. Um, but I mean, it was, but the thing is though, it's like at, as being a part of a team that is still like a social activity, like you still got to like socialize with your friends and stuff. So it wasn't like I didn't have any friends or like. You weren't like alone in a science lab doing experiments or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You had some people exactly. around. 
Do you enjoy swimming now, or do you have? Do you feel like you have to do like your the good form and like certain strokes and stuff, or do you just it's like? It's funny because I feel like it's like a muscle memory. Because I remember when I was like the peak of like my swimming career, I like would have like five a.m. practices, and I would literally fall asleep swimming like I would like to, I don't know how but, like I would like take a nap I'm like oh okay I'm like I'm about to go to the wall but like <laughs> nowadays I uh it's kind of traumatic I just miss swimming so much so like if I'm back in the pool I still can swim like like I'm not obviously as fast but I can still do like butterfly backstroke like the whole you know all of the strokes and stuff but like it just kind of gets sad because it's just like you have all those like past memories and you remember when I was like swole and ripped and like I was at the top of my game but um and also it's like really hard to find pools in new york city yeah but like but whenever i go back i mean it is kind of fun refreshing though like i do miss i do miss swimming it just kind of gets bittersweet sometimes it sounds like the um you know the rigorousness of like having a schedule and like really working hard for something like has definitely carried over into your rest of your life into your career and your comedy career and yeah all it's that. like because I always had something to do so for me it's like the worst thing for me just sit alone and like do nothing so I think that's why I'm like with comedy it's like that's been my filler for swimming where I'm like okay gotta do shows gotta hit mics and like all that stuff so like I can't just like do one mic or one show a day if I'm out doing comedy I had to do at least like two or three things and I think that's like you're right it definitely did carry over from like my swimming days but like I need to learn to like to learn that it's okay to like not do anything one day you know (laughs) it's okay just like chill and take a break so I'm definitely trying to learn that for sure that's hard to learn for sure well um thank you for being here with us we want to um end on our first and only segment which is where we like to go back to the true form and name of our podcast where we want to know Sarah where do you like to literally eat alone at lunch um yeah two places and I recommend this to anyone um First, if you're uptown and you like music or whatever, there's a David Rubenstein atrium and near the Lincoln Center. And I love it because it's like a huge atrium and there's like music playing and it's like all green. It's like the Rainforest Cafe inside. Um, <laughs> and I like it. It's pretty cool. And then the other place where I think is pretty beautiful is like, um, so I live in the financial district and I do this often where I would like get a sandwich or a bagel or whatever. And like I'll eat outside um, and like facing the Statue of Liberty and like the, the Battery Park area. And it's like pretty cool. Sorry, I'm not going to rant here, but like there's this comedian, uh, Gad Amale, who has in his Netflix special talked about how like growing up, his dad would take him to the coast of the Atlantic Ocean and point his finger and said somewhere across this ocean uh, is America. And like one day you'll get there. <laughs> and for me, I'm thinking, okay, maybe like there's another Moroccan girl on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean eating, I don't know, a kebab sandwich, <laughs> thinking yeah. the same thing. But yeah, that's, that's uh, another place for sure. That's so cool. And those well, both sound so, so picturesque and idyllic. I oh, know. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Normally we're yeah. like, there's one dingy deli. You go in there, you get the <laughs> ham sandwich, you sit in the corner, you don't talk to anybody. So that was, I love those answers. Those were very oh, thank nice. Thank you. I appreciate well, it. This is coming from a bento box eating lunch aficionado. Yeah, I should have known better. <laughs> I should have known better. <laughs> um, we want to give you the time now to promote anything, shows, handles, whatever you got ah. going on. Sure. Um, every Tuesday I have a show at the Revision Lounge in East Village. It's called uh, Shut Up and Laugh. It's pretty fun. Um, and then like in terms of on Instagram, I'm Sarah Amy Harvard. Um, and on Twitter, I'm at Amy Harvard underscore. 
I had to change it because like Nazis were like coming. It's a long story. I'll, I'll talk about it in, in on my Twitter, maybe in the future. But uh, but that's where you guys can find me. Um, and on TikTok, I'm also Sarah Amy Harvard. But I just mostly post their straps or some weird tr- trends there because I feel like you have to be hot to be successful on TikTok. But yeah, amazing, Emily. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can find me everywhere at the Funny Walsh, and you can find the podcast everywhere at Alone at Lunch Pod. And if you want to email us, it's Alone at Lunch at Gmail. Amazing, and I'm Carly J Montag on the platforms. Uh, thank you again, Sarah, for being here with us, and hopefully we'll see you again soon. Yeah, and for everyone you. else, goodbye. Bye bye. Sayonara. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Alone at Lunch early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. Because, once again, Mr. Ball and Podcast Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on the Mr. Ball and Podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust. After a middle-aged couple fail to answer their daughter's messages and calls, the daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them, But after arriving and seeing both her parents' cars in the driveway, the daughter gets an uneasy feeling and just can't stomach going inside. To hear the rest of that story and hear hundreds more stories like it, follow Mr. Ballin Podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Prime members can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music.